From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. We have a lot to get to this week as we wrap up the Republican National Convention, continue to follow the coronavirus pandemic, and examine how the police shooting of Jacob Blake has rippled through the sports world. To discuss all of it, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers are joined by longtime Democratic Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson and Texas State Representative Matt Krause, a Republican who represents parts of Fort Worth and Arlington. Later, in a discussion you'll only hear on the Lone Star Politics podcast, NBC5 Sports Director Nui Scruggs joins the show to talk about the boycotts by athletes across all sports over social injustice. But first, Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson, a Democrat, has represented Texas's 30th district in the U.S. House since 1993 and served Dallas residents as a state representative and state senator before that. So with decades of service as an elected official, Johnson joins Julian Gromer to talk about the latest on the pandemic, racial unrest, and more after a busy Newsweek. Thank you so much, Congresswoman, for being here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Let's begin with your reaction to the unrest in Wisconsin. What is the best path forward? You know, I don't agree with the looting, but I, I do sympathize with the protesters and I support them speaking out. You know, we have held this anger in so many years, and now that the world can see what we've seen all the time, it's going to be difficult to control these emotions. But I do want to encourage anyone who's doing any kind of protest or demonstrations that the looting is not inclusive. We would like not to see that part of it. Representative Johnson, in his acceptance speech Thursday night, uh, President Trump had a law and order stand. He criticized former Vice President Joe Biden, the Democratic nominee for president, for a number of things. And he sort of said that Biden hasn't been forceful in coming out against the looting and, and the other violence. Not the peaceful protest, but that part of it. What's your response for that? And should Biden and Harris be more forceful in denouncing looting and rioting and violence? Well, just yesterday, I heard uh, Vice Presidential Candidate Harris denounce the looting and the violence. And I'm certain, as long as I've known Vice President Biden and as long as I've been close to him, he does not support the violence. But he seems to understand why the demonstrations are ongoing. And I'm hoping that the nation begins to understand because now they have an opportunity to see what we've been seeing all over the years. It's unfortunate that we have to go through this, but people are tired. They're tired of the unfairness. And you know, we have basically a good law enforcement body, bodies around the nation, but they need to do a bit more in training and weeding out those that seem to think that beating or killing is a way to get through a problem. Representative, Friday was the 57th year, I believe, anniversary of the March on Washington and Martin Luther King Jr.'s historic I Have a Dream speech. When you reflect on that and think about what's going on today, what what are your thoughts? Are there lessons learned from the 60s that we can apply today? There have been lessons learned. There have been things that have improved, but not, not enough. And when I say not enough, in terms of what we are dealing with with law enforcement now, There have been spurts of improvement. Right here in Dallas, there were spurts of improvement when they had community policing. That has to be consistent. 
because the minute we take our eye off or the attention off of those police relationships with the community, it starts again. And so you can't put that anywhere but on the responsibility of the training of our law enforcement and the understanding of people with our law enforcement officials. I think the more education they have, because many of these prejudices start within these academies. We've got to review those academies and be a little bit more restrictive in who we are hiring with our police force. In terms of other progress, yes, we've seen some. Maybe not enough, and certainly not enough for many of the people of color. Because we had rollbacks, we'll take a step and we roll back. But when I think of how long we stayed in court all the way to Supreme Court, just on redistricting, and all we were looking for was fair representation, it's been a fight against it. And that is not going to sit well with any person of color. Even now with the postal service and the voting problems, we should not be experiencing that in this day and time. We've done that. We've been there. We know what that means. And we cannot sit idly by and think we're gonna not say something about it or express some feelings. Representative, I need to turn to COVID-19 here. Schools are beginning to reopen. Some are virtual. Some will eventually begin in-class learning. What do you think is the best way to handle this? We've got to stick with our science and our scientists and our physicians who have knowledge of this virus. This is nothing to play with. And all of us are chagrined and stressed by the impact that staying apart causes us to experience. But we cannot violate science and think it's just going to go away. We've got to do both. And so that is one of the reasons why we're trying very hard to make Wi-Fi available to all of our students, because it appears to me that we're going to have to use distant learning for quite a while. I'm really troubled that it's such a push in face of the knowledge of what happens. Just recently, one of my alma maters, Texas Christian University, opened their doors, and now they have an uptick of infections. I don't think that People realize that this is not a game. It's really a serious pandemic. Representative, I do want to ask you, though, for those students, are you concerned if the distance learning continues that they'll fall behind? Yes, they will. There's no way I think that I could say it to cover up what kind of gaps they will have in their education. The ones who have the gaps now will suffer the most, and that's unfortunate. But they will be alive and we'll have to do whatever we can to make up. Now, in the bill that we just passed out of the House a couple of months ago, the CARES Act, we had tried to address the infrastructure that would provide students uh, with Wi-Fi at home. The Dallas Independent School District is putting buses in certain areas, apartment complexes and what have you. But that really has become now a responsibility of our society to make sure that young people, of course, and old, but especially young people have access to distant learning. We really don't know when we'll get, be able to get back full-time in our classrooms with the confidence that we had before this pandemic. But we cannot afford to let the same students who are deprived of any kind of technology already get further and further behind because it really puts a responsibility on society to suffer the outcomes 
of those who are left out and left behind. We've got to address it. Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, thank you very much. Johnson is running for her 15th term in the House of Representatives and will be opposed by Republican Trey Penny and Independent Eric Williams in the November 3rd general election. The Republican National Convention wrapped up with President Donald Trump formally accepting the party's nomination with a speech to supporters on the South Lawn of the White House Thursday night. In his speech, the president talked about rebuilding the economy and tried to cast Joe Biden's policies as too progressive for many Americans. While the convention's official business took place in Charlotte, North Carolina, many of the speakers were virtual due to the pandemic. However, Trump and First Lady Melania Trump spoke to groups of people outside the White House, while Mike Pence delivered his remarks to supporters at Fort McHenry. Here's Republican State Representative Matt Krause, whose district covers parts of Tarrant County, with Julian Gromer. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's begin with your reaction to what you saw at the convention. Yeah, I, I thought it was an extremely strong four days for the RNC. I thought they laid out a vision that is much different than what you saw the week before at the DNC. And I think you see the, the contrast, the clarifying lines of what is at stake in November 2020. So I, I think it was a really good week for the Republicans. Uh, I think we've got a strong record and a strong position to run on. And I think uh, the lead up until November 3rd is going to be very strong for Republicans. Representative Krause, the race in Texas, according to polls between Biden and Trump, it's a close race, a dead heat, some polls show. How confident are you that Trump can hold Texas, a state that a Democrat hasn't won since 1976, Jimmy Carter over Gerald Ford? Yeah, that's right. And that's a great question. I think what you saw a lot is the race tightening, especially in Texas over the summer months. Uh, we were in the heat of the protests. We we're in the heat of everything going on. Uh, there was the pandemic still going on. So any incumbent president, I think, was going to do uh, pretty poorly in those polls. I think what you're going to start seeing is people start seeing the choice between Biden and Kamala Harris and uh, Donald Trump and Mike Pence and what the two parties stand for. You're going to start seeing that lead widen in Texas for uh, Donald Trump. And you're starting to see a lot of the battleground states actually close in. And so even Beto was saying the other day, uh, the Biden team hasn't put in the money, material resources to actually compete for Texas. The Democrats know they probably can't get there this time. And I think we're going to see more and more evidence of that in the next couple of weeks. Representative Krause, uh, the Democrats do feel, though, that they can get nine seats, nine statehouse seats, the nine they need to take control of the Texas House. A lot of that, you know, the road to that goes through Tarrant County. You're one of the representatives being targeted. Can the Democrats, you think, come all the way back and take control of the House this cycle? You know, it, it would pretty much have to be a replay of 2018 for that to happen. And you're right, the other side is excited and they're enthused about the idea, but uh, they won 12 seats last time. I don't right. think they get the nine seats this time. 2020 is so much different than 2018. People point to the fact that Beto barely beat Ted Cruz in Tarrant County in 2018, but I can guarantee you the Beto of 2020 could not win Tarrant County. And so uh, there's a lot of differences between those two election cycles. I think we're going to continue to see the Republicans gaining strength as we head into November, especially with some of the uh, extreme contrast that we're seeing play out in the streets of some cities in America right now. And people are going to look at that and say, you know what, I just don't think the Democrat Party can do a good job of keeping us safe. And, and I'll just quickly add, you are running against Democrat Lydia Bean in November. 
Let's turn again to Tarrant County and COVID. A mask mandate has been extended until December. Your reaction to that? Well, you know, I think we always need to be listening uh, to the health experts and seeing what they're saying, but we also can need to continue to uh, enforce personal responsibility and to encourage that. So um, I'm not sure if we've seen any indication that the mass mandates are working, but I think it's incumbent on every individual to use their own judgment, to use masks when it's appropriate. And if that does lessen the spread at all, I think it's, uh, it's a good thing for Tarrant County residents to do on their own. Do you feel like it lessens the spread, Representative? Should people be wearing masks? Well, again, I, I think you can see a study that says they do. You can see a study that says they don't. For me, what uh, the position I've taken is if it can lessen it at all, and I have the power and the ability to do that uh, simply by wearing a mask in the places that I go, I'm going to do that. And so I think we should be encouraging everybody, if at all possible, wear that mask, continue to social distance if you can. We want to continue to keep the economy open and going and people back in their jobs. And again, for me, the calculus is maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But if it does even a little bit, I'm willing to wear that mask for my fellow citizens out there. Representative, what's the biggest budget challenge facing the legislature when it reconvenes next year coming out of this, well, with this COVID-19 pandemic raging? I think it's the budget, just all told, because we've seen uh, unprecedented hits to not only our economy, but we've seen some uh, major disruptions in the oil and gas economy as well. And that always tends to drive what the budget in Texas is doing. So uh, that's education, that's healthcare, that's transportation, that's criminal justice. All the things that we use our budget for, all of those things have been impacted because of the pandemic and then what's happened with oil and gas at points in 2020. So it, it's going to be a very interesting, in some ways, a very tough session on the budget, but I'm encouraged with Jane Nelson in the Senate, Giovanni Capriglione in the House, uh, chairing those uh, finance committees and appropriations that we're going to be able to figure out a way to fund everything that we need to fund going forward. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, if it's going to be a tough session, how do you fund everything you want to fund? And if you can't, what do you see being cut? Oh, and that is a great question. And last session, we, we were flush with cash. And so we could kind of fund everything we wanted to fund. This time, there's going to be a lot of hard discussions, a lot of hard decisions, uh, because every place you cut, you're impacting somebody's life or livelihood in some way. But the state only has so much money. I think we've done a good job in the past of resisting efforts to use that rainy day fund money that we have for one-time expenditures or for, I mean, not one-time expenditures and things like that. I'm glad we have that money there now. And I think that's going to go a long way to shoring up some of the deficiencies we have because of what we faced in 2020. Representative, uh, in, in the short time we have left, we're both baseball fans. Globe Life Stadium is open. Rangers, the Cubs, they're playing. What do you think about sports coming back? And I, I know we don't have fans, but is that something that you've been able to grab hold to and, and, and enjoy? That's right. Uh, just like you, Gromer, I'm a huge sports fan. I, I love watching those athletes play at the highest level. And there is even talk about the World Series being held at Globe Life Park. Oh, wow. Uh, so we may yet still have some big games in HD 93 uh, in, in the coming weeks and months. But um, I, I think sports has always been a good unifying force for our uh, culture. It doesn't matter where you're from, what you believe, how much money you make. You can get along with somebody who cheers with your sports team. And so uh, I'd love to see our sports professional teams continue to play at a high level and uh, and do what we can to, to bring people together, not tear people apart. World Series in North Texas. That sounds good. <laughs> That's right. Let's, let's bring it.
Kraus is running for his fifth term against Democrat Lydia Bean. Last Sunday, police in Kenosha, Wisconsin were caught on video shooting Jacob Blake, a black man, in the back seven times as he walked toward the driver's side of his car. The only NBA team in Wisconsin is the Milwaukee Bucks. And on Wednesday, the team's players decided to boycott their playoff game against the Orlando Magic in the league's bubble. The decision sent shockwaves through the sports world as the NBA postponed playoff games and players in the WNBA, Major League Baseball, and Major League Soccer all boycotted games too. As the worlds of pro sports and politics collide, NBC5 sports director Newey Scruggs joins Julian Gromer to discuss the significance of the last week. Newey Scruggs. I, hey, man, this is this is an honor having you on our podcast. There's a lot going on, dog. I mean, look, put in context for us how historic this past week has been for you. I'm a big fan of Howard Bryant of ESPN, and he's written a book called The Heritage. And what he spoke about in that book is he said basically from the 1970s and then the 80s and the 90s, you didn't have any athletes doing anything. Nobody spoke out about anything. Guys were able to make so much money that they were greenwashed. Basically, the effect of, hey, look, you black athletes take this money like O.J., Magic, Johnson, uh, Patrick Ewing, and don't say anything about social issues. Just take this cash. And what we saw with the Milwaukee Bucks, which shut down the NBA on Wednesday, was this guy saying, we'll put our money on the line. We'll put a playoff win or forfeit on the line because we want to actually step out here and say something meaningful about social justice. We haven't seen guys really want to do that since the 60s. No, we're really starting to see here sports and the political world really merge. I mean, sports becomes a, a issue in campaigns. I mean, what do you think about that? Also, let me also say this. I, I said guys. Let me add in the WNBA as well. So there have been women at the forefront. The WNBA has been a lot stronger than the NBA for a lot more years in terms of talking about social justice issues. Now, Julie, to talk about politics, look, it's always been there with sports. I had a viewer who got mad at me yesterday about a commentary I, I spoke about with Jason Dickinson of the Stars. You go back to Jack Johnson, who was from Galveston, becomes the first black heavyweight champion in the world. It sparked off riots in the United States that people were that upset. We look at the Olympics in 1936 with Adolf Hitler and how he turned that into his own personal political parade. We saw the 1980 Olympics uh, get boycotted by the U.S. and Russia. And then in turn, they boycotted in 84 in Los Angeles. So sports and, and politics have always been there. You look at the civil rights movement. Rosa Parks ended up sitting down on the bus in the 50s, but it was Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier of baseball in 1947. It was interesting today. It's Jackie Robinson Day, and the Dodgers are in town to face the Rangers. So that changed society. So sports and politics have really gone together. Basically, we saw going back to the 1910s around here in, in the United States of America. And Newey Sports has helped change attitudes to some extent about race as well. You look at Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. Jack Johnson, you mentioned him. But you remember Joe Lewis championed uh, during the, the Nazi era as well. John Carlos and Tommy Smith, not right away in 68, right? When they raised a fist, uh, the glove clenched fist. But how do you, do you think the protests now and, and what's going on today from a sporting perspective will help change some attitudes? Yes, because I, I go back to what happened with, with Jackie Robinson and integrating baseball. From that, we ended up seeing Harry Truman integrate the military in 1948. So I believe sports has always been that opportunity to help lead change because it's one of the few things that people have that they rally around as communities. 
people rally around their sports teams. They take pride in their sports teams. And so when these athletes decide that they're going to use their voice, they can affect change. And you're right, Gromer, you go back to Max Schmeling. I mean, here's a black man that all of a sudden was hailed by everyone in the United States when everybody cheered for him because they wanted him to beat the Nazi, Max Schmeling. So we've consistently used sports to make ourselves feel good. Back in 1980, when the United States hockey team, those kids ended up beating the Russians in Lake Placid, New York, and ended up going on and winning the gold medal. I mean, those guys are still popular today. And in fact, President Trump brought those guys out for a rally earlier this year. So sports and politics is still used to this very day. Nui, the other day when Milwaukee decided not to play and then pretty much most sports followed suit very quickly, were you surprised by the speed of that in the day, especially as a news guy who's reporting on it? No, no, Julie, because we've seen the NBA and the WNBA put Black Lives Matter on the court that they play on. And we've seen the coaches association led by Rick Carlisle, the Dallas Mavericks, Every press conference, he reads some type of civil rights history, talking about lynchings in the past. So they've been at the forefront, and then here it is. We see the very thing that they're fighting against happen one more time. There is an unarmed black man shot in broad daylight. So when it happened and we saw the action of it, people were saying it's enough. So I'm not surprised that athletes who've been in a bubble, all right, they're, already, they're not near their families. There, there is a little bit of frustration and tension there that they saw it and they just said, you know, no, we can't, we can't do this. And for it to happen in Milwaukee and go back to the Bucks now, and they've got a former S, um, SMU player, Sterling Brown, who two years ago had a really nasty run in with the police. And it was so bad that Milwaukee Police Department offered him $400,000 to keep it quiet. So the Bucks have had several players who dealt with some injustices and racial profiling with the police there. So this did hit home for the Bucks team and the fact that it happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, about 30 minutes away from Milwaukee. What do you expect to see from Jerry Jones and the Cowboys as the NFL season gets started? Oh, Gromer, great question here. Uh, Mike McCarthy has his conference call with the media at 7.15. And Friday, I was on that call. So Mike says that there's conversations that are going on. And every day you talk to the players at training camp and they keep talking about, well, we're holding conversations, we're having conversations, but they've yet to tell us about any action that will come or be a result of these conversations. Jerry Jones on his Tuesday radio show said that he was hopeful that the Cowboys could have some type of compromise, such as they did against the Arizona Cardinals, where they lined up as a team and took a knee before the national anthem. And when the national anthem was played, they all stood up hand on heart. I don't think Jerry's going to be able to get that anymore because Jerry was trying to please both sides. At this point in time, you're going to make somebody uncomfortable. You're going to. You're going to have to because that is what this has become. You can't keep playing both sides here. Jerry's trying to be this businessman that ultimately doesn't want to upset his white customers. But at the end of the day, if any players decide to raise a fist, take a knee, they're going to upset them. And Jerry's just trying to make sure it doesn't happen. But I don't know if he's going to be able to get his players to all do it. Now, the players like Tyron Smith and Dak Prescott all said whatever they do, they will do as a team. So there's a chance the Cowboys as an organization keep doing what they've been doing, which is stand during the national anthem, hand on heart, and do nothing at all. Do you expect to see a Black Lives Matter logo on any of the fields or stadiums? You know, I was watching the playoff, the, the Mavs game the other day. It's really striking. And it shows you how far we've come when you see Black Lives Matter across the court. Will we see something like that in an NFL stadium? 
I don't know. I don't know. And if it does happen, it may be on an individual basis. I don't know about everybody doing it collectively because we've seen the NFL has been lagging behind when it comes to just looking at Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick was blackballed by NFL owners, and then they ended up writing him a check when he sued him. So NFL owners have not been at the forefront of trying to sit up here and say, hey, we've got a problem here. They've done it lately, but the NBA has always been out here with this issue to say, okay, look, uh, we acknowledge that Black Lives Matter. You've never heard Jerry Jones say Black Lives Matter, but you've heard that from NBA coaches and teams that say we want to fight racial injustice. Jerry has walked around the topic a little bit, but he's yet to say Black Lives Matter. Nui, before we let you go, a couple of New York Giants didn't rule out a boycott of a game. Do you think that NFL will start on time? Do you think an NFL boycott's possible? Julie, let me tell you. Okay. We laughed about this on a podcast I did, and I said, look, this is a group and as an organization that refused to sit out games so they could get a better labor deal from players. They're not about to sit out games because the way it works in the National Football League, you are paid on a per-game basis. Okay, per game basis. And I know this, and this is just fact. By the time you get to the season, there are dudes on financial fumes. They need the money. So when guys talk about, yeah, I'm going to sit out here. Are you really ready to risk a check in a pandemic, one that you will not get back? You're going to get 16 of these, you hope, because we don't know if they're going to play 16 games of COVID. So I hear this talk. I don't see it happening. The NBA players, after they first decided to postpone these games, they talked about, well, we're just going to leave the bubble and shut it down. And then the NBA owners told them, okay, we'll be taking 25 to 30% of your money. And guess what we've got going? On Saturday, we're about to have NBA games. Guys don't want to lose that money. You can sit up here all day long and talk about what you want to do for social injustice. But these guys want their money because this is not like they're going to be able to go out and make this money up somewhere else. This money that they're getting is astronomical when we think about it and you compare it to what other Americans are making. So, no, Julie, I don't believe that we're going to see a boycott of an NFL team because you're also talking about trying to get 53 guys to all say, yes, we're not going to play. It's easier to do when you got smaller numbers in basketball, a lot harder to do when you're talking about 53 guys on a football team. So, Nui, I know my bestie Julie likes to dabble in sports every now and then. <laughs> I, saw on an anchor, I saw her in a sports anchor chair a little while back. But look, you got to come on Lone Star Politics. I was just about to say the same thing, Grover. Break it down for us. Because we know, we know you got some political, we know. That Nui knows what's it. going on. I was the captain of my debate team in high right. school. So yes, I, I have definitely followed this. And then with my dad being involved in the Children's Crusade in 1963 with Dr. King in Birmingham, Alabama, I've definitely been up on these issues. But yeah, anytime you all would want, it would be an honor to come on come on your award-winning show. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Nui. It's an right. honor to have you on our podcast, and Gromer and I have great love for you. All right, Julie, get ready for our fantasy football draft. It's September 5th, okay? You got the number one pick. Don't oh, mess it up. Julie has the number one? I got the number one yeah. pick. Yeah, I got it. Oh, Julie, who? wait, where, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? I'm between Mahomes and McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey, yeah. Okay, no, there's no in-between. You take, you take Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey. Okay. You take Christian McCaffrey. You do not risk taking, leaving the best player that we've seen last year. Okay. You don't, you don't do that. So as your friend, I'm telling you, take Christian McCaffrey. But, but, but you know, you may have a I, it's but, tradition. Nui and I sit next to each other and this year right. our draft is virtual. So I'm sure I'll be texting him the whole time. Hysterical. But you know what, Nui, the, it seems to me the past few years, the number one pick is usually a running back, right? And that, that player doesn't have the year they had the previous year. 
No, they don't. I, I, I can attest to that because last year I took Saquon Barkley. So did I. I you know. spray. Right. Yeah, but, but, but I'll say this. I hung in it long enough, and then when Saquon finally got healthy at the end and played a couple bum teams like Washington, and, and, and he helped me in Miami, he helped me win. So I ended up winning the league. I got lucky. But you're, you're right, but still. Oh, you're the champ. One thing we know. One, yes, I am the champ. Yes, yes. He's the champ. I am the defending champion. I am the defending champion. But but we know this. We know Carolina's offense is, is going to be behind in games because their defense is bad. So that means that Christian McCaffrey, either through the passing game or the running game, is going to get his number. So if Julie takes him number one, that's as safe a bet as you want to get. It's safe, and she'll probably have a shot at Mahomes in round two. Maybe. Maybe. Julie, you never know what you get when you, you listen know. to the Lone Star. Uh, politics podcast. You never know, but Nui's yeah, coming yeah, back for yeah, sure. Yeah, and we want to uh, props to Chris Blake, our producer, for suggesting this. Great job, Chris. And um, we'll uh, talk to you soon, New. Will do. Thank you. Lone Star Politics. Come for the politics. Stay for the fantasy football advice from the defending NBC5 fantasy football champ. Let's check in one more time with Julian Gromer as the sprint to election day begins for the presidential candidates. So Gromer, the conventions are wrapped up. It's really off to the races now. Yes, it really is. And it, it will be a fast paced race. Labor Day's coming up. That's the traditional kickoff for the campaign. Of course, it's been raging for a while. But what you'll see is with everything that's going on, COVID-19, the fight for social justice and all that's involved in that, we're going to see a quick sprint to the finish. Because think about it, early voting is, is expanded, right? So it's much earlier in October than it usually would be. And there will be people voting literally, literally, Julie, in a few weeks. Isn't that We're going to have people voting. And that's, to me, amazing. Because, I don't know, we'll see. Here's the, what to look at, though. Both conventions, it's already been framed, right? How bad can it get, right? That's the question. If you elect Donald Trump, the Democrats are saying it's going to be an awful, you know, four years. And Republicans are saying, oh, if you elect Joe Biden, look out. You're going to have a, a nightmare scenario there as well. So it's really a doomsday message that both, uh, both camps are selling uh, voters. And that's, to me, that's pretty extraordinary. You know, and, and you understand this as well. It's so strange, the lack of campaigning. Yes. It's so, I mean, you and I would be all over the place doing this show. Yeah, we would I, be all over the place. We would be with candidates. I, I, there are reports that uh, Joe Biden may get out there a little bit in the coming weeks, particularly in, in Wisconsin and Michigan, some of the battleground states. I think, well, if you look Republican, I mean, Democrats probably looked at the convention, saw Trump's acceptance speech at the White House on the South, South Lawn, no matter what you think about whether he should have done it or not, the optics, it was with the fireworks, the optics of that, the crowd looked pretty good. And so there, there will be pressure on both candidates to do some old-fashioned campaigning, even as we sort of still worry about the pandemic. And the question is, how much of that will they be able to do? And it's not like before where they're campaigning, they're on a plane, the press is on the bus, there's right. hundreds. I mean, it's just a totally different ballgame this time. So it's, it's you know, Angelique, you look how will that affect voters? I mean, there are very few undecided voters, I think, at this point. But there are some. 
And there are people who probably are deciding whether they want to vote or not, especially uh, younger voters who are disenchanted with the system. A lot of the protesters who are out there, you know, probably making a decision, do I really want to participate in the process? So how do you reach those voters in a way that engages them and, and fires them up and sends them to the polls if you can't have rallies, if you can't knock on their do doors? And that's the big trick. Well, I will miss being on the road with you. We had lots of fun. We had lots of fun. You know, what's best about the road is that slice of Americana, seeing totally. how people live in different places, blending in with the communities. You yeah. and I like to go out in between the rallies and after the rallies to dinner at a local. We like we always uh, look for local. Local. We always and, local. And, and, and Iowa is yes. the perfect example uh, of that. It, yeah, I, did right. I take the words out of your mouth? Yeah, <laughs> you Iowa is did. the perfect. Well, Iowa is. Yeah. Iowa's Iowa. It's the beginning and it's awesome. Yeah. The Miller High Life Lounge. You get a nice cheeseburger and a classic Milwaukee beer there. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> we'll see y'all next week. Thanks to Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson, State Representative Matt Krause, and Nui Scruggs for joining the show this week. Stay up to date with the latest in Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.